This is the Endless Ranters Podcast. Podcast. Good evening, Endless Randers. Welcome back for episode 170 of your Endless Randers podcast. We do what we want and we appreciate your support. My name is Chris and I'm one of your hosts for this evening. It's the soggy mom living in a crunchy mom's world. What's going on, Kwana? How are you doing? I'm excited about tonight. I mean, you know, Me too. sad times, but. Me too. We, we got, got some, we got a, well, yeah, it is sad because Robbie and Manny aren't here. Yeah. But no, uh, but we have Russ in the house from the Picking two the bastards. Uh, podcast yeah he is here to educate us and uh yeah just have a great conversation as always i don't know this might be three or four whatever five times we've done crossovers or, or whatnot but uh it's always fun when we oh, have really? crossovers coop would be here but he's busy watching virgin river or something yeah. <laughs> i've been seeing him doing that it's funny I'm, I'm, you know it's like uh i don't know is that the cw i don't know i tell him that, i tell him he makes me sad Oh no, is he really watching Virgin River? Oh yeah. Uh, <laughs> he posts screenshots from it on there. Start, it gives us commentary about which characters he thinks are great and which characters he thinks are wimps. He's probably not Has doing that. Watch the Gilmore own. Girls yet? <laughs> I've made him into the OC. Okay. It'd be like next up is Dawson's Creek. <laughs> yeah, Dawson's yeah, Creek reaction anyway. videos. With James Vanderbeek. Okay, he was great in Varsity Blues. <laughs> oh, okay. So he likes the character like you. You like a character on a show too, so right? I like Dean from Supernatural. Yeah. Dean is I've I have two main crushes in the world. Dean is one of them, and I think Ryan Reynolds is probably the other. Okay. I like it. Ryan Reynolds is, is Supernatural. Like nice is that a recent is that a current show or or uh, that's it, it went two, off a few years ago? It actually actually went downhill after season eleven, but it, it managed to stumble through another four seasons and I watched them all because like I said, I just Oh, that went on a long time then. Okay. It did. It went on forever. That's good though. You know, right now I don't, I don't think I have any like active television shows. You know what I mean? That I'm like really looking forward to. That sucks. That really sucks. Yeah, that does suck. I think the only one that I actually look forward to is Welcome to Wrexham. Oh, I didn't watch that. Uh, My son watched that with Laura. Yeah. Well, I'm a communist if you like, but I played soccer since I was seven. So it's the draw of Ryan Reynolds and soccer together. That's well, that makes it kind of fun. That's okay. a good. Uh, I've, I like talking about this because uh, European soccer or football, as they call it, mm-hmm. uh, Christopher's wearing a soccer shirt right now. That's right. right? Oh yeah, yeah. It's like <laughs> we're terrible. It's like it's been it's been a long. It's been so sure. long. It's we're starting to realize like it's been that long. It's almost sure. like the it's almost like the Cowboys, but not as bad. But um, no, a European football soccer is uh, like one of the most capitalistic sports systems in the world. Like, yeah. there's no parity. Like, they did introduce some financial fair play limits to where clubs couldn't take out huge loans to you know spend on their team players, facilities, whatever. But no, like in European soccer, like you have to earn it. You earn it through success. You win lots of money when you win things. 
Um, every time you, you know, like every place you finish in the, in the standings, like you win a lot more money and then you get well, to take that money and put it into your team. Um, well, and the, it's yeah. the promotion and relegation that I really like, especially like in the, that, in that the too. Yeah. Like there's win there, there, like there's winners and losers micro and then like big, like, I mean, like it'd be like, it, for those who don't understand it, it'd be like, yeah. you know, in the NFL, the Chicago bears and the Houston Texans finish in last place in the NFL. And suddenly they have to play in the XFL and the USFL next year. And then the yeah. Memphis, the Memphis bombers and Birmingham barons end up in the NFL next year because they got promoted or something. I love that. And at the same time, but at the same time in the NFL, it's like, if you win Super Bowls, like you get to keep all your money. You don't have to share it. You don't have to share it with the losers that go or that are Owen 17 or whatever it is now that don't try. You don't have to share it with the, the teams that are in the middle of the pack or you don't have to share as much with the teams that are middle of the pack and don't really make an effort to either, you know, get ambitious or, you know, just kind of play it safe. So it's, it's, um, yeah, I don't, yeah, there's lots of things about Europe that are obviously, uh, you know, more socialist, but I don't think well, their soccer is one of them. One of the, one of the fun, one of the things I like about it, Ma- Rob McElhaney from it's always sunny in Philadelphia. He's, love that show. he's, uh, uh, Ryan Reynolds, partner and co-owner mm-hmm. with Wrexham and he he wanted to get a sports franchise to basically tell a story because he thinks he has to tell those stories and he he literally went on the internet and googled how to buy a sports franchise and started researching a couple of them and that's how he ended up landing on Wrexham yeah which is the fifth tier English Welsh soccer team that hadn't won anything in like 15 years 20 years something like that mm-hmm. and you know the town's really working class really kind of it's been it's been down and they came in and boosted boosted it up. It, it's been a really fun show. Yeah, I think, uh, man, I don't know why. I like the story. I like those guys, too, you know. Uh, I don't know. I think it's because uh, I've, I've got other former Manchester United fo- uh, soccer players, football players that started their own clubs or, like, kind of have their own clubs, too, and it's like, all right, these Hollywood guys bought a team over there, and now they're competing with – you know, the teams that are owned by my favorite players that I've, you know, been following for 20 years, you know, that retired, that have long retired. Yeah. Well, so it's maybe, also, I, maybe, maybe that's why I like kind of didn't want to. Salty. Salty. They've got, yeah, they've got some bit, hate. Yeah. I'm petty. <laughs> I mean, I've, you know, I'm petty. Yeah. I'm petty. petty. Yeah. From some other clubs who quite frankly, their, their fans are upset because uh, Reynolds and, you know, Robin Ryan came in and put a lot yeah, of money in and started, I can, you know, promoting them. And they're like, they think that sucks, but at the same time, they'd give anything if that was their owners. Yeah, I, I can. I think because I've been I've been aware of the, that whole league system over there for a long time. Like I can really see you from the point of view of like those guys hit the lottery, like Dorncastle. They they hit the lottery, and other teams are just like that's that that sucks. Why don't I hit the? <laughs> but man, some of those teams also they look at it like, well, man, there, there's a bunch of money being poured into our league. Well, when Wrexham comes to our our stadium, then we can fill it. We got to take that money and buy players and buy better players and improve things and mm-hmm. and get up the ladder too. So yeah, no, uh, uh, European soccer is in in large parts is like extremely capitalist. Even like the bad parts of it, like there's a lot of corruption in it too because it's like kind of a it's it's kind of a it's it's, it's, it's a little bit cup. corrupt. It's a little bit corrupt too. Yeah. That's how the, that's how Cutter got the World Cup. They basically bought it. Yeah, there's a lot of money floating around there, just a ton of money, and uh, 
a lot of jo- uh, uh, former players like in form in you know in positions of power but it, it is really uh anyway i don't know what we talked about i know Kwana's learned a lot uh from yeah. this um yeah. yeah i watch soccer from like let's see first grade all the way through <laughs> 12th and year round like every weekend of my life for those years from first grade to 12th grade filled with soccer tournaments i mean i was the driver you can't believe the life I had as a soccer mom. Never had a wagon, always carrying my own shit. So, and I still don't know what offsides is. So, if that tells you anything, <laughs> my love for soccer. I don't think it, nobody knows what it is. It's, it's one of those mystery rules out there. Yeah. But my daughter was really good, like really, really good. One time she made a goal from a corner kick. Like she was so good, so good, so good. Nice. She lettered in high school. She was really good. That is fun. So, yeah. My girls both that. play, they, they're in their second year. At six years old, and it's a little tough to watch. It's a little tough to watch, but you know, my my youngest played for like one season when we were in Kansas, and her uh, her match strategy consisted of singing and skipping down the field. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) My daughter's team they they my daughters you know they get at it pretty good. They they're getting they get locked in, but they've got a couple teammates that like to spin around and look at the sky. (laughs) It's funny. Kylie was just, on a team when she was little that made them roll. It was they were muddy. They knew they were going to get muddy that day, and so he made them all roll in the mud before the game started. Like they were little, and he made them like roll and all little girls, you know. Yeah, they, that's funny. They did it, so it makes it hard. It's really, uh, yeah, it's something. It, it's uh, it's something that's really uh, beautiful to me to like, yeah to watch the girl because i'm used to like i was a boy and i watched my boy play and all and sports and whatnot they're all high five but like to watch the girls celebrate like that's yeah. it's a different thing like how they, they get excited in a different way mm-hmm. the hugs very oh, very similar but then just like the little just just uh appreciating the differences yeah you know, it's like my yeah. daughter's still friends with so many girls that were on her team like it's yeah we uh yeah. went to it we went to my son's band recital last night and then afterwards he wanted to go and see his friends at the volleyball game the girls volleyball game mm-hmm. oh. we were there for like we were, they were like sixth seventh grade uh, seventh grade i think and um they were doing like the girls were like all, like the a team and b teams were both they were doing their chants yep but like in the real high pitch i was like dang this is pretty serious like this is a <laughs> they, get, they get gestures if somebody Scores an ace on a serve. It's a special kind of gesture. Is it? Yeah. It's a, I, it was the first thing I had, first time I had seen it, you know, at that age. And it was like, it was just kind of, yeah, they were just kind of, they, they have the same kind of camaraderie or I guess, do you say camaraderie for girls too? I, hey, I got to tell you this story real quick. My, my oldest was playing, they were playing one of the larger schools in the area. Um, and you know who Penny Hardaway is? Oh yeah. 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 Play the Madden yeah, guy. Coaches basketball the, uh, player. He coaches the University of Memphis. Quana lives in a basketball town. I do. I do. Um, but uh, Penny Hardaway's daughter went to this school. And so at the end of the at the end of the night, all the girls from my daughter's team got pictures with Penny Hardaway. And my daughter comes up to me after. She's like, who is that guy they were asking us to get pictures with? <laughs> you know, all, all the dads are out there. Oh, look, Penny Hardaway. And, you know, right, uh, my daughter was like, um, who is this guy and why do we care? Wasn't was this real name first name like Anfern Anferny or something like that? I have no idea. I'm not that close. But I remember like Claymation. It makes me think of Claymation Penny Hardaway because there was a yeah. <laughs> was well, it, it, like, like a commercial. That. 
Was it Chris Rock? Oh, some kind of commercial ad or something like that. It was like Chris Rock doing that. That was funny. That was some funny shit. Anyway, so uh, shifting gears. One of the reasons we asked, you know, Manny's out tonight, Rob's out tonight, uh, both, uh, you know, battling, uh, well, I don't want to get into it, you know, their health problems. I'm just kidding. It's not mesothelioma. They're they're both fine. Yeah, Yeah, they both both work with asbestos for too long. (laughs) Way too long. (laughs) What's consumption? That's tuberculosis, right? Tuberculosis, yeah. Yeah, like a lot of people die from that every year still. But anyway, they're out. Speaking of people dying, look at that segue I just created. Uh, a lot of horror in the world, a lot of uh, a lot of terrible things, and one of the reasons that Manny suggested to us that we uh, get Russ in because you know producing always. Yeah, producing. he's a producer. He yeah. produces stuff, all right. That's for sure. But uh, yeah, so Russ is here, and we're just talking a little bit about that. So uh, last Saturday morning, I think it was Saturday morning uh, in Israel. Mm-hmm. The governing organization that rules over palestinians or uh, area of the palestinians it's also a terrorist group uh sent a bunch of people maybe over a thousand yeah about a, about a thousand to 1500 terrorists they blew 80 holes in the security fence after conducting 80? a cyber attack. Is it 80 now dang yeah af- after conducting a cyber attack that disabled the touch the fence uh touch sensors yeah i think those numbers are really important because it's not like one building or two buildings or one ship in the Gulf. It's like or a couple of rockets and the, like those things are big. Like obviously two or three buildings in a Pentagon, that's a you know, big deal, but it's like 80 places over a thousand. I say over a thousand, but it was like 1500 is the S is what we've been told. Yes, uh, yeah. Of, of militants, terrorists, attackers, killers, maniacs, evil bastards. Yeah. You know, yeah. Evil pieces of garbage. Uh, Parachuting in too. Right. Yeah, they did some of the paraglider stuff in. That is just, it's like, a, it's a lot, again, the numbers, it's like not just the numbers of holes in the walls and the number of fighters, but like the the methods, like the different weapon types, the different weapons, like whatever you want to call it, like how they deliver the weapons, like by air, right. you know, through a wall or on a damn paraglider. I mean, that's just, uh, it was overwhelming. It was very overwhelming to a small country you know, state, whatever you want to call it. Yeah. Well, and they also went in, they went in expressly to kill civilians. This is not, they weren't targeting the IDF. They were targeting kids. Yeah. They, they attacked a, a music rave for peace. They started taking the women and uh, raping them on the spot and then taking them back to Gaza to continue to rape them. Um, and then uh, this is not like IDF propaganda. That was putting out. Hamas was, was live streaming these videos and putting them online. Because they were yeah, bragging. About it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The, you can't you can't have control over like they're trying to have control over what happened, but it's like, no, you had all your maniacs with goddamn, you know, iPhones or GoPros or whatever you know, whatever the Chinese knockoff of GoPros are, or whatever, whatever body cams you stole that the Taliban gave you that we gave. The Taliban also gave, gave a lot of the M4s that Biden left in Afghanistan. Yeah, God, I mean, it's just it's sickening. It's sickening on so many levels. Our involvement, our funding of it, are just bad tactics, policies. And, like, and Hamas, one of the one of the sadder stories I, I saw was because Hamas was uh, putting this stuff online and putting on TikTok and other everything. Uh, one teenager uh, up in Jerusalem found out her grandmother got killed because the terrorists TikToked it, uh, and she it ended up on her phone. Yeah. That's how yeah. she saw her grandmother yeah. got pulled out yeah, of a we, wheelchair and killed. 
we were chatting about that earlier this week, or, you know, I, I share a lot of crazy stuff with uh, these un- my unfortunate co-hosts throughout the mm. week that I find. But yeah, that was one of them where, yeah, they uh, killed some woman, unlocked her phone and uh, used her personal Facebook account to post pictures. Like that's demonic, you know, like that, there's, no, there's really no words for like evil, demonic, mean, you know, homicidal, like there's just. And then some people claiming some of this is Israeli propaganda. You know, you need to look at the videos and see what they did to the children in the kibbutz in the kibbutz uh, nurseries. It, it's sick, but you need to look. You need to look genuine evil in the face to know that it exists. Problem is, one of the problems is a lot of people in, in the Western society they really think that oh, everybody really just wants to raise their children and have peace and you know prosperity. No, th- these people do not think the way we do. They want the world ruled by a fundamentalist Islamic state. They think that it is a good thing if their children die, because then their children will go to heaven. They think that those who do not share their faith are infidels that they can do anything to. One of the reasons they rape these women is because they say they're able to dirty them up, and it supposedly prevents them from going to heaven. And they know that you know it is their supposed right to do this. People need to understand these evil folks do not think the way we do. Mm-hmm. You cannot have peace with someone who wants to kill you. You can want peace all you want. If your enemy chooses war, you have two choices. Go to war or surrender. It, there's, there's but no Russ, but Russ, but but they only want to kill the Jewish people, right? Like that, that's all. All they want is like that terror. All they want is that little stretch of land. And if they just yeah. leave, they'd be they'd be happy, right? Wouldn't they I'm just sure. be like wouldn't they send us Christmas cards after that? Yeah, I mean, that's that's why their supporters were gathered on the steps of the Sydney Opera House chanting, gas the Jews. Oh, yeah. Yeah, no Christmas cards. <laughs> no no Kwanzaa. No, yeah, there's no Kwanzaa. There's no rainbow Christmas. There's no, uh, yeah. It's a hard life for everybody. Like, they're not they're not done over there. That's the, and that's and the thing. Like, are they, they chanting death to America, too? Like, not just oh, yeah, the Jews, but to America as a whole because we're so fucked up. Well, like, right? To be fair, to be fair, they will chant death of the Jews like six or seven times before they mix in in America. Okay. You know, so they they want death to America, but just not as much as. Okay. Gotcha. Not as much as their neighbors. So, you know. So horrible. They're they're about to find out what death is because, I mean, this is the first time Israel has declared war, not an operation, war in 50 years. They are finding out right now. That's. That's the Israel. thing as every day passes by and people are arguing about, is this, are these pictures of the dead babies real? Are these yeah. real or not? Every, like I'm la- I'm kind of, I'm laughing and like disgust, like that all the time that people are spending arguing about like, was there rape or was there not rape before they were killed or was there like rape before they were kidnapped or was like, were they murdered or kidnapped or were their babies oh, like God. shot or, or beheaded? Like, is there a difference? Like all the time people are arguing about this crap, the people that you're, that you think you're helping. Oh, they're being blown up. Like they're being destroyed. And what is so real, it's, it's, it's crazy. Like the people that are going nuts about like the little details and like, Oh, that's propaganda. It's like, well, as you're arguing about that, we're on day seven, six, no, we're on day seven. And uh, the people in Gaza are being, you know, destroyed. Well, that's because, Israel is already doing They're targeted losing. raids. They've massed 300,000 soldiers on the border of Gaza. Um, they're going to go in. Hamas will not be a, an actual organization after this. Now, the Palestinians, you got to remember, there, there's not a single Israeli, not a single Israeli citizen or single Israeli soldier inside the borders of the Gaza Strip since, I think it's 2007. 
2006, 2007, when uh, Israel pulled out, they they uh, took 6,000 Israelis out of the Gaza Strip who had made settlements there. And they said, okay, this is your chance, Palestinians, to run Gaza. Israel will continue to provide you with electricity and with power. And so the Palestinians elected Hamas. They they gave them power. And this is what's happened. And, and they looked the other way. This is the, like the last last Saturday was the single largest day of killing of Jews since the Holocaust. Um, and you can hear the words never again in everything they say. They are going to eradicate Hamas. And I would not be surprised if they expel every single Palestinian from the Gaza Strip. They have already and and raised raised the building, whatever you want to say, just completely level them. I would not be surprised if they went that biblical. Um, Because when you're facing an existential threat to your survival, that's not the time you're going to be nice. I mean, think about how would we have reacted if, say, cartels in Mexico were lobbing rockets into Galveston or Tucson or San Diego? Be done. I'd be like, I'd like to personally sponsor a bomb. Yeah, they've already cut off electricity and water to the Gaza Strip. They're going to go in. They're going to they're going to go building to building. They're going to kill anyone who gets in their way. If folks saying, "Well, where's do they go? Let them go to let them go to Egypt if they want to do that." But I mean, the thing is, I think Israel's going to be like, "Hey, you don't have to go home, but you can't stay here." It's really uh, it's really tough, and I like I really try to. It gets me into trouble sometimes, but I really try to not think about what should and shouldn't be. Oh, they should. Oh, they should. Oh, yeah. It's like, what is? What is is death and destruction is coming. Like the people that are, you know, burning Israeli flags, like you can do that all you want. They're just going to level this place. And uh, they're really, really pissed. One of the worst things I, one of the worst things I, one thing I hate the most is when I'm really pissed and like righteously pissed. Someone tries to take that away from me. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's like, no, let me express my rage and like, like, let me express my anger. Like, don't try to mute that because that makes it worse. So yeah, they're pissed. Um, and Can I, I ask think- you a question? Go ahead. Yep. About Palestine, about like the people that are saying free Palestine, like that's separate from the people that invaded, right? Or is that one in uh, the same? These are, like, these, I'm- are these are basically one in the same is okay. when, when the British uh, mandate divided the land between Israel and Palestine, all the Arab armies around the area invaded the country of Israel at that time. They did not want to coexist there. Within how long? It was like 24 or 48 hours, like within a day or something. It was within, it was, it was within a a day or two. Mm -hmm. Um, As soon as Israel, as soon as they were, as soon as the paper was signed, wherever, like the United Nations, whatever, it was like, bam. it, you gotta remember when everybody talks about, well, they'd be fine if they just got, you know, the West Bank and the Gaza Strip. First of all, the West Bank and the Gaza Strip was not a thing until the 1967 Six Day War. Um, the, the Arab nations around the area invaded in 1948 as soon as Israel became a nation. Um, and then back in 1999, Bill Clinton and Ehud Barak, uh, the Prime Minister of Israel at the time, actually worked out a deal where they were going to hand over, I think it was 96 percent of the West Bank and East Jerusalem to the Palestinians for them to have their own nation. And Yasser Arafat uh, turned it down and refused and declared an intifada. So this is not about peaceful coexistence. They want to drive the Jews into the sea. Uh, They they view the entire area as Palestine. And they say, well, we were there for a long time. Well, you got to remember two things. First of all, the Jews have been there for about, I don't know, 3,000 years. Um, And the second thing you got to remember 
is that the Palestinians, they, they, they had a chance to, to build areas in the West Bank, in Gaza, and what they did was the leadership would not actually build up structures, infrastructure, cities, that kind of stuff, because they kept people in a refugee status, in refugee camps, for the last almost 80 years, 75 years or so, um, because you know people who have no rage will not fight for you. So they have no interest in actually helping their people until they take, until they supposedly take over the entirety of Israel. Well, that would mean the wiping out of the only Jewish state on the planet, and that was a that was an entry into how the Jews almost were completely wiped off the map in World War II. So they're not going to let that happen. Now there is another threat on Israel's northern border. Uh, Hezbollah is also partnered with Iran, just like Hamas is. And Hezbollah has uh, like 150,000 fairly sophisticated rockets that they could try to fire into Israel if they so desired. They could try to open another another front. There's reports of incursions on the northern part of Israel. However, I think that's just to try to draw resources to the north. I don't think Hezbollah is actually going to invade uh, northern Israel to fire those things because then the Israeli Air Force is going to go and level. I mean, there have been operations in the Lebanon before, but the Israeli Air Force has not gone in and just turned it into a parking lot. Plus, right. and you're about to hear, hear me do something I almost never do, but I'm going to give credit to Joe Biden on this. When he right. moved an aircraft carrier uh, into the eastern Mediterranean, that's a signal to Iran and Hamas, I mean, Iran and Hezbollah, that, hey, dudes, do not start anything on the northern front. We're here. We're going to get involved if you do. And I think that even gets gives pause to some of these folks. I think Iran. That just means his cabal, the cabal, not yeah. his cabal, the cabal yeah. that runs him was like, hey, everybody, we, we need to stave off World War Three here. And like but this could this I, it could escalate. Yeah, I think I think Iran was actually surprised by the success Hamas had. I, I don't I think they expected a, a general incursion that would yeah, you know, yeah, kind of like things yeah. have always been because. What Iran was looking for, Israel and Saudi Arabia were on the verge of finalizing a historic peace agreement. And if Iran and Saudi Arabia, Saudi Arabia is the leader of the Sunni Muslim world. If Saudi Arabia normalizes relations and gets a peace agreement with Israel, the entire rest of the Arab world is going to follow. And that counterbalances the Iranian threat. And you got to remember, the Arabs view the Iranians different. The, uh, there's the Arabs, but the Iranians are Persians. Uh, it's a completely different dynamic in the region. Mm-hmm. Um, so they, Iran was hoping for a little bit of an incursion, you know, let's disrupt that peace process. So we don't have a a regional counterbalance. And when the success happened, I think they suddenly went, oh shit, because they are now a target. I would not be surprised in the next five years if Mossad does not take, if Mossad does not take out the, the Iranian leadership. They're very calculating. Yeah. They're very calculating. Yeah. They're very calculating. And like back to the numbers, like when they sent 1500 psychos killers you know over like I, I gotta think that like they whoever planned it didn't think it'd be that successful like it no, was the best it was a best case scenario it was like the best case scenario ever that they just caught everybody's the all the israelis sleeping everywhere almost well, everywhere you know? there hadn't been an incursion like this since 1973 yeah. there's been there's been you know some rockets and there's been some terrorist attacks you know they'll shoot up a car or they'll blow up a bomb in a market, which is all awful. There are credible but, reports that there were they had seen Hamas fighters training 
and like yeah. doing building raids and things like that, like a month or two before, and just kind of, you know, just kind of didn't think it would happen because it was at the same time was the worst case scenario for Israel. Like you can expect that Israel, like their defense systems, they're thinking that at any given time, at any, like they got to be realistic at any given time, any day, especially a holiday, there could be an attack. Yeah. A pizza shop, a coffee shop, maybe two, but they could never, they would never, they, they, they didn't, they obviously did not think that it'd be 80 places, 80. Well, this, this is part of an argument I've had on the, the Adam Carolla page is with somebody is, you know, thinking that, you know, Intel agencies should always be able to put this stuff together. It's a human assumption. Part they of our have leaks. To, they have leaks too. You know? well, it's, it's part of our condition to think, you know, there's no way the worst case is going to happen. We may catastrophize in our minds, but nobody's surely going to, you know, try to do this, that, or the other. It's, you know, we'll be able to hold off because it'll be a, a middling thing. And so it's easy to look back after the fact and say, oh, we should have caught A, B, and C. But in advance, trying to be prescient about it, it it's very hard to do. And yeah, you could predict every single thing, but they'll put you in a straitjacket. Yeah, where, well, see, where you Israel I mean? like, failed, and I'm sure their intelligence agencies are going to do a big investigation on this stuff once this is all over, once they've turned Gaza into a parking lot. I'm sure they're going to do a big, you know, how did our intel fail so badly? One of the reasons it failed so badly is they failed uh, to continue forward the doctrine they initiated after the Yom Kippur War. What happened in 1973 was... All the intel indicators were there to show that uh, Syria and Egypt and Jordan were about to attack, but uh, nobody believed it. So what they started doing for like 40 years after that was if there were 10 intel agents in a room and nine of them all said the same thing, it was the duty of the 10th agent to disagree, no matter how out there the scenario was. Well, they've kind of gotten away from that. And I think that's going to, that came back to bite them. And I think it's going to be something part of, the uh, after action review that they do when they finally do start. But right now they're not worried about the investigation right now. Right now they're worried about containing this. I don't know if y'all saw the IDF uh, tonight actually conducted a raid in Gaza where they freed something like 200 of the hostages. I saw, I saw the headline of it. Yeah. Yeah. It, I, I've been I, like, I watched yeah. part of the raid. They, the, the IDF put the body cams online and, and showed uh, some of the rescuing of the hostages, which was great, but there's still another 700 that are still out there somewhere. Well, I mean, that's 260 more than I thought they would get. Right. Because you know, yeah. it's like at the, at some, at, I know that, you know, I would think that at that, at some point, they're just like, they have to operate as if the worst case scenario and just. Well, the thing that I was always, the thing I, I was always taught and always taught to those that I, that I instructed, whether it was ROTC cadets, my own soldiers, or baby majors at CGSC, was. If the other side is putting the civilians in danger, yes, you try to avoid those casualties. However, if those casualties do occur, it is not on us. It's on the people that put them in danger. Seeing, I'm disturbed because seeing a lot of the, like, what I, who I, like, there's a lot of folks that I thought were responsible journalists, commentators that I think that they would, they would have been calling for uh, de-escalation, you know, before World War II started. You know, when, when yes. Europe was being taken, they would have been like, oh, we got non-interventionists where I'm a non-interventionist. So I got, I put that label on myself. I have to stick to it and just can't, can't do anything. And it's like, man, or like somebody, like some innocent people might die. If we try to liberate Europe, it's like real. Oh. The, the, the Babylon B yeah. had a great headline where it said, uh, uh, Emperor Hirohito calls for ceasefire after bombing of Pearl Harbor. Yeah. 
it's really it's bizarre the stand the new standards of what's okay to like to win to keep yourself safe like I, but i guess it, it's like comes down to like the micro thing of like in some states like you can you know, like someone break in your house you shoot them and you're going to go to jail yeah like right. well no 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 like that's kind of crept into our whole geopolitics like like people are allowed to attack a country and and you tell that country to calm down well there hasn't yeah. been a major war of survival or brutality on this scale in the world, really, probably since the end of World War II. Don't what get me wrong. The Congo. Con- What's that? What about the war in the Congo? There's like millions that have died. That no but, one talks about that. Like you're right, but that's that's and the thing. my no question one- is why is the news pushing this one down our throat when other ones exist? But like we only hear about two. Like I don't understand that. Do you pay eight dollars a month to subscribe to the Congo Times? <laughs> but I understand it. From I a- follow a guy that's there, and he's like on the street reporting and he's like no one's talking about it i've been following for several years and it's really bad over well, there like it's i understand so bad. why do you think that is Russ? A couple, a couple of different aspects one of them is you know some of this is going to be very blunt and very brutal but it's just the way sure. the world works yeah um there aren't a lot of resources that we're interested in there in the congo there are resources but aren't we though it's like cobalt and like I there's a lot of minerals china's going stuff. after that we're only just getting into the ed thing if you look at the flip China, side for example Ukraine supplies something like a quarter of the world's wheat. And that's right. that's that's a big deal. Israel right. has got a a uh, a moral tie and a historical tie to the United States because we sponsored Israel in 1948. The we, didn't sponsor, we didn't sponsor right. Congo. Nobody goes in there. And not to put I mean, I'm not normally a, a, a race guy, but you know, it's not a it's not a, a white, you know, Judeo-Christian society. So people right. don't pay as big attention. People haven't paid attention to Africa in forever. They don't, unless they don't want us. Africa. They don't exactly want us paying attention either. So they're not. Right. Like, that's I agree. I, that's my saying, point is like the TV says, like, this is the war that we need to care about. And it's like. Well, but there, oh, there yeah, are yeah. historical, there are historical and familial ties to Israel. Ukraine is in Europe's backyard, which is for lack of a better phrase, our ancestral homeland in a way. Right. And, and Russia to be fair, has been the boogeyman since I was a little boy. Same. Um, we, we've seen the Arab armies invade. And and the, the other thing, one thing that people aren't talking about very much, but we've got to keep in mind, if things get so bad for Israel, they do have a thing called the Jericho option. Do you know what the Jericho option is? Mm-mm. No. Israel has nuclear weapons. In 1973, they came within hours of using them against Syria. They basically, one of the reasons the United States continued to supply arms and ammunition to Israel in the 1973 war was their ambassador went to to Nixon and said, hey, look, we're on the brink of defeat here. It gets much worse. We're going the other way with nuclear bombers. And you unleash a couple of nuclear bombs in the Middle East, yeah. really bad things start to happen. I, we, like, we like to look at the world as like, we're bigger, they're smaller, we're the parent state, they're the child state, so we should be able to dictate. It's like, no, 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 there's a negotiation and they've they that, that's been a while, but they were basically like, we're going to go scorched earth here unless unless you kind of get behind us and kind of protect us and give us things and just just unless you offer us protection it was like a reverse mafia thing but it's like that's what i would do too if i was them you well, know so again, they're playing they're playing their hand and uh that's fair but i wanted to get back to something because because i think that getting back to something you said early on was that the day after they were officially the the papers were signed and they had a country 
all the air, all the Arab nations around them were like attack Jordan and Egypt, right? At least Jordan, and Egypt, Egypt and Syria, Lebanon, Syria. They all were like, let's go get these MFers. Let's go kill these guys on day one. And let's not forget so that they're was, living in it. Let's not forget that was also less than four years after the Holocaust. Yeah. Yeah. This is early, right? Yeah. This is like early fifties, like, or was this 48, no, 1948, 48, yeah. 1948, less than four years after the Holocaust, they tried to do that. And the, yeah. the collective, the collective memory of the Holocaust was still fresh. And these wars and invasions have kept that collective memory very fresh ever since the Jews were yeah. on the brink of complete annihilation in 1945. People use New Jersey as a good, as an example of if that was Israel, but it's like, yeah, like, you know, if New York in 1948 attacked New Jersey, the people in New Jersey would, it would be very fresh in their, their memory. <laughs> like, yes. They'd be very worried about all the people in New Jersey and Maryland and, and Delaware and New York and all that, that, that like that tried to try to wipe them out not that long ago. And then well, it, our government also in the sixties, like they pushed the our six, history back. Yeah. Well, yeah in the sixties, they also, there was another time in the 60s where every country around them was like, hey, let's mobilize and kill all these MFers. And Israel defeated them against all odds. Like yeah, well, what them. happened so was they're living in a so I'll say this, they're living in a state of the like they you want to think the house the Palestinians are surrounded and like living in a state of constant fear. Well, so is Israel because they're surrounded by people that want them gone. So I'm I'm pulling a number, I think, out of I don't know if I'm pulling out of the air if this is close, but it's it's several hundred million Arabs surround them, and you got nine million folks in Israel. Yeah, the ratio is not good. Yeah. Now, when people talk about proportionality, I think they miss the mark a little bit because, yes, proportionally, if this had happened in the United States with you know proportionality numbers, basically it would have been the same as about twenty thousand American citizens being killed. But let's be fair: if Mexico launched a strike into San Diego and killed five hundred Americans. We would go absolutely bananas, and you know, first armor division, first cab division would probably cross over the border that night. Yeah, I know. For one thing, we'd be we'd be telling every other country in the world back off. We'd be telling them back off, and we'd also be telling them, "Don't you tell me how I? Don't yeah. tell me what my reaction should be." That's our arrogance trying to tell Israel, you know, "Hey, restrain yourself." No, this is not the time for restraint. As, yeah, that's not my point of view. At all. As a famous African military leader. Uh, Shaka Zulu once said, never leave an enemy behind or it will rise again to fly at your throat. Again, I'll say Back to like, Africa before we started, I think <laughs> I was saying I did there. <laughs> I my, did. my take on this is not up in the clouds with the shoulda and this is what should be and blah, blah, blah. It's, it's really this is what is. Mm-hmm. And if Israel wants to truly wants to have a life where they're not in constant threat, well, you got to eradicate the threats. You got to eliminate the threats. Like we, we won, like we won world war two. I like to think because the enemies were just, were begging for mercy and they were oh. suing for peace. And they were like, we've had enough. We, we, and we, and we got them to the point where we were like, we believe you. I know it's different. It's different because it was, it's like kind of, you know, with us in Germany, at least it was like this similar cultures us in Japan. It wasn't, but we had them in a state where it was like, we had them on their knees. They weren't ever going to do it again. And yeah. the intellectuals of this world keep convincing Israel to stop and let the fire smolder, right? We we have only fought it's a terrible situation. We've only fought two wars in our history 
where we actually used the full might and power and applied warfare in a total manner. World War II and the Civil War. Um, I mean, you know, Sherman burning down Atlanta kind of meant the South was never going to rise again. Okay, I mean, you know, the scorched earth march and everything that that ended the threat of the Confederacy. World War II, Germany and Japan have not been a threat since. I think yeah, one of the reasons like we you, did to Germany was because we let them up easy in World War One. We said, okay, we're not doing that shit again. And we went and put a boot on their throat, us and the Soviets, because to be fair, the Soviets did a lot of the manpower fighting. And then when we dropped a couple of nukes on top of Japan, you know, we, we sent the signal, okay, you know, you can keep going, but we are going to utterly obliterate your entire nation if you keep yeah. going. And we, for some reason, we expect restraint out of Israel when they're facing some kind of existential threat it's very arrogant that's why it's been going on for so long it's it's been going on for so long because of it and it's uh my personal take is biased by the fact that i've been watching this go for 35 years and i really just don't want my kids like having to learn about it and having to learn about the history of it and like having to watch all the damn and having our politics dominated by this thing well i think it's 30 years from now i don't want it so it's like well, I, look, I think that it's it's kind of funny that the, the Hamas leadership was actually, they don't live in the Gaza Strip. They live in luxury in yeah, Qatar. Qatar, yeah. But the funny thing is they think they're safe there. No, they're not. You know, Mossad is going to go after them wherever they are. I think it took, I want to say it took five to 10 years for Mossad to kill all the black September terrorists that had that killed the uh, 1972 Israeli Olympic team. But they don't forget. They got a very, I mean, what did it take? Was it uh 20 something years, 23 years, something like that, or is it 15 years? However long it was, it was from the end of World War II until the 1960s when they captured Adolf Eichmann and you know put his neck in a noose. They're they're not gonna forget this stuff and they're gonna go after these enemies wherever they are, and they're not gonna stop until they're dead. Yeah, it's a really tragic situation because I re- I like I kind of like I hope that this thing can be extinguished, but I understand that at the same time that it means- will be when Hamas is gone. Yeah, that but that's well, you know, these groups like Hamas, ISIS, ISIL, Hezbollah, like they they do morph like Muslim Brotherhood. They're like all like splinter off. So like I, I imagine that Hamas could be wiped out, that they'll just be Hamas 2.0 or there'll be some other group or something. Well, but maybe you just hope the that they're you hope that they're weakened and you hope that the civilian population that tolerates them supports them. If you want, you know Pal- what, you know if you want the Palestinians it's to be not. free, then you have to free the Palestinians from Hamas and Hezbollah. You know what? Um, is that what they mean by free Palestine? Is that what they mean? Like free us from those people? Is that no, what no, people no, that's are not asking what they mean. When they say free Palestine and they say from the river to the sea, they mean drive the Jews out and it is a nation of Palestinians. 100%. Okay. My thing okay. is the only way you're actually going to free the Palestinians is when you free them from Hamas and they decide to join the civilized nations of the world. Yeah, they would. I believe that at this point in time, if they just took down all the walls, because some, you know, some nitwits have suggested that, like, you know, just public commentators, but it's like they would just subjugate, they would either kill or subjugate all the Jews. Like they would. Oh, that's exactly what they would do. You got to remember. It would be vicious. uh, But at the same time, what would you expect? Because no matter what, right or wrong, whatever, good or evil, like you have all these people pent up. And then you, yeah, then you, you unlock look, the door. It's like, yeah, they're going to come out and like be raging. But, but you, you got to look at how the how the Palestinian leadership, both and they're trained the to do that. Authority and Hamas have handled some of this stuff. What I mean by that is, they said we don't have any infrastructure. We don't have clean water. We don't have sewage. Israel supplied them piping 
to fix that stuff. And Hamas turned it into rockets and rocket tubes. They said, we don't know how to build roads. We can't build roads and schools. Israel gave them concrete and Hamas built terror infiltration tunnels underneath the Gaza Strip into Israel. They are not interested in building up for their people. They are interested in killing the Jews. That's it. And that's why you have to wipe them out. You're right. You're like, like, I know, I know like that's trap because people will like intellectuals will try to reason their way in to like where, intellectuals who are where, not in danger themselves or they'll just try to reason. Yeah, never, but they'll try to reason. They'll try to find a way where <laughs> hypothetically this could all work out without a bunch of people dying. And it's like, ooh, because boy. they think these people are like them and they're not, they need to get that through their thick skull. Well, I know what you're saying. Yeah. Culturally, that's, we're just, we're just like, it seems like we're planets apart, but we are all humans and they are part of the human condition and the hatred runs so deep that, you know, we have to kind of imagine ourselves back in like, you know, a long time ago, not, not ourselves running with iPads and getting along in this weird, uh, you know, peaceful life we live. Uh, that's yeah, if anomalous to those history, times. but it's like those people are living in different times where their tribal hate is like it was in the middle ages. That's, that's why you can't reason with them. If you understand yeah, yeah, that they yeah. operate in those time periods, you understand it'd be like trying to reason with the crusaders who were trying to burn their way into Jerusalem. Yeah. That, no, that's to, what I'm saying. I'm, I'd say they try, they try to do that, but it's, and I try to do that too, but then it's like, you snap back to the fact that a lot of these people, I don't know if it's 10%. I don't know if it's 50%. But a lot of these people, they're training their children from the time they can speak to hate the well, people on the other side of the wall. And there's no, like, there's not enough psychiatrists, you know, there's not enough psychiatrists to like undo that thing. It's like, look, it's, look I, I have a story about this. I have a story about this from personal experience. When I was in Iraq, we did all kinds of stuff in Iraq and we, we found like some textbooks that Saddam, that the, the Iraqi government. Is and you fix those kids quickly or are they just gone? Well, look, they some textbooks that Saddam's government had printed, and they had like pictures of a vampire with a star of David on his forehead and fangs, blood of you know Arab children dripping from its fangs, and it was a big myth about how the Jews were awful and apes and all this mm-hmm. other stuff. And we found these things, and you know how Americans, especially American kids, are when they start talking to people, you know, they find people who are different. They want to talk to them. They want to figure out what's going on. And I will never forget. Uh, Specialist Tally and Staff Sergeant Cook and our group of soldiers outside of the area we were in talking to a group of Iraqis because we were like rock stars. We drew crowds over there right after the initial invasion. And so they were they would ask, so, hey, we, we've seen these textbooks. Say, Why do you hate the Jews so much? And they said, well, the government tells us to hate the Jews. Said, well, what do you mean? Don't you think for yourself? And I said, no, no, no. They wouldn't tell us that if it wasn't a good reason. Therefore, we hate the Jews. Um, and they are taught this from a very early age. And one of the reasons that the government, that the government of Iraq and a lot of the other governments over there did that was because it gave them an external foe, an external enemy to focus the people's rage on. So they're not focused on the shortcomings of their own society. Don't you think that's what our government's doing to us right now, though? Yeah, the situation. There there is a very different mindset between Americans and these governments. Because you got to remember, our government, one of the things that people don't get, our government is got very disparate, in-squabbling types of elements among it. These other governments, they don't allow that. They 
when uh, authoritarian governments look at the press in the United States, for example, and they see the press questioning this policy and that policy or putting out this statement or that statement, they think the government is doing that because in their own nations, that's how the press operates. Okay, they don't have that freedom of that independent level of thought that we do. Now, that's not to say that our that folks in our government are not capable of nefarious things. They obviously are. They're bad people. They're good people. And they're people in between in the government and in society in general. But when you have an authoritarian regime like they had in Iraq, like they have in Hamas, like they have in Iran, it speaks with a single voice and they are able to tamp down on any dissent that exists. The squabbling that we have in our own country that allows that independent thought is not allowed in these other nations. And so they right. speak with a voice and they indoctrinate in one single group. And that's why the mindsets are different. Plus our own founding, the way that we came about as a nation has produced a completely different mindset than the rest of the world has. And yeah. most Americans simply don't understand the difference in the mindsets. I get what you're saying. Yeah, I, I agree with you there. I think for us, what some of the things we talk about here is that uh, we don't think there's a lot of that the system allows for a lot of ton of dialogue here. So like, it's not that hard to imagine that over there, like that's, it's locked down. Oh, it's locked in completely. Locked down, we, yeah. we, we bitch and piss and moan at each other constantly. And it makes us angry and we demonize the other side. But I mean, other nations, this is what you see here with that is it's very recent in human history. There are other nations that somewhat have that Britain, some areas of Europe, um, but in other parts of the world, when it gets to that kind of squabbling, uh, you know, Kwana, you mentioned the Congo, when it gets to that kind of squabbling, that actually leads to war. They they, they, they view squabbling as, OK, now I need to go fight. We view it as we're going to have a debate. They don't have debates on that. If, if it gets to the point of that kind of fractiousness, they're going to start shooting each other. And haven't we yeah. kind of lost the 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 debate in our country where, well, one, our president won't debate at all, but also like. If you say something, then you're labeled racist or you're labeled whatever. Like we've kind of lost that within. I think, I think there's a back. There's been a backlash to that, especially recently. Backlash to the cancel culture stuff. And one of the other big things is the government here. While yes, somebody may may shun you, you may lose this whatever. At least from a legal sense, the government can't come in and, and tell you not to say that. Now they try to get around that. They can tell you that you have to do the like the mandates to wear a mask and the mandates to get the shots and and all the mandates. Now I think that's a different discussion because I think that a lot of that. I mean, we had this in happy hour. We talked a little bit about COVID. I think that some of that just caught people so off guard. It was almost a shock of, oh my goodness, what's going on? And I'm not talking about the virus being a shock, but you know, I think that you saw pushback about that. You know, six months to a year to eighteen months afterwards, when people started finally getting their feet underneath them again. And at least on a governmental level, they're now they they've tried to find ways around it to like you know pressure the tech companies, pressure churches, so on and so forth. But at least we have legal challenges to that. In these other nations, they don't have that. I mean, we talk a lot about free speech in this country, and we think that we get our traditions from the British. All right, let me put two things in perspective. In Russia, last year, roughly four to five hundred people were jailed for what they put on social media. In Great Britain. Almost 4,000 people were jailed for what they put yeah, on social media. England is a weird, weird place with the uh, like. Go to I, Canada and see what's like. I had a big, uh, I posted something about that on Twitter or X today about because there was a video of um, uh, pro Palestinian people in London just 
driving down the road. Like they were at a bit of bullhorn out their car, like talking mm-hmm. about raping bunch of anti-Semites. They, yeah. I mean, just raping the J mother, the mothers, the daughters of them and all that stuff. And it's like, I've seen the stories. Like if you're at a, like a soccer game and you, you know, if someone, you know, yells out a racist word, like one word, like, because they're that the player didn't score or made a mistake, like, oh, they're on CCTV and they're getting tracked down. They're not, they're losing their season ticket. They're never going to be able to come back to that stadium ever. They're going to get charged. They're going to be on trial. They're going to go to jail or, you know, so why are they allowing people. this to happen like all over? Well, that's the, I think that's, a lot the of it, that's the big, que- I think that's like the big question that all societies are asking themselves. Like, we have answers. Russ is an answer specifically, but I think like, I like that all societies, France, England, United States, New York, college campuses are wondering like, oof, like what have we, what have we created here? Yeah. Now, have you like, seen what happened? We need, with to, the, we need to question our culture. Now, yeah. Did you see what happened with the, with the Harvard letter and uh, the people who oh, put that letter so out good. recently? So good. No. Okay. So, so good. Uh, right up in a of, pan. Like 30 student organizations put out a letter supporting the Palestinian people and supporting Hamas in this, in this, what's going on in a really and, nasty way too. They, they yeah. blame like their letter blamed, like, Oh yeah. Blamed Israel. For just blamed Israel for like one, one of the guys on there was, was in Harvard law school and already had a job uh, offer and he put out this stuff publicly. And so they, the folks he had the offer with rescinded the job offer. Now, what's what goes comical about this is the Washington Post came out with a story, I believe it was yesterday, of hey, you know, kids say stupid stuff. We shouldn't be canceling each other over this. And everybody else came out and said, hey, no, 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 no. All right, you wrote these rules. All right, you're canceling teenage girls for saying something stupid on TikTok. You know, you wrote these rules. We're just playing by them. And they're canceling people for wearing a Moana costume on Halloween. And I think I think what this may do. The only way to stop the madness of cancel culture and other things is a version of mutually assured destruction. If both sides understand that if they engage in this, it's going to happen to them too. Well, that's why, you know, that's why we're engaging in it. Okay. When both sides go weapons down, okay, we can, we can talk again, but as long as your weapons are up, my weapons are up. Yeah. I think, yeah. Mutually assured destruction. Like just, yeah. If, uh, if two people disagree over something in the middle of the woods, it's like they have a choice. They can either walk away. But they can yeah. fight to the death. Like, like they, they can duel. They can, they can <laughs> walk. Away, like you can walk away and be that. like, you know what? Agree to disagree and live. Or you can be like, no, I want to be right so bad that let's go. Pick up, you can, you were on great again. pick up a stick. Pick up a stick. <laughs> I, I I'm, I'm, I'm going to be right tonight. I don't know if you ever watched North and South when they would have the duel. You know, they would Hell have like, yeah. yeah. When Patrick Swayze. Learned Patrick how to Swayze. That yep. <laughs> yeah. I'm just angry that. What? Like. First of all, North and South, uh, Morgan Fairchild was the star of that show. She didn't come into a book. My too. daughter's middle name. Patrick is Swayze was a nobody back then. Yeah. Morgan yeah. Fairchild was uh, just a, you know, most beautiful woman. So beautiful. Remember when she was in the Rodney Dangerfield movie? Still. What was the Rodney Dangerfield? She was in the commercials. <laughs> back to school or something like that. Oh, where he's a and swimmer, a diver. Yeah. yeah back to yeah. school. Was she in that too? Oh, that's funny. Yeah. So that was good. the first thing I saw Terry Farrell in. Uh, she ended up playing <laughs> Jedzia Dax on Star Trek Deep Space Nine. 
But uh, just to like, you know, on this subject, I, cause uh, you know, I've seen a lot, like I try to like, again, I try to steal man, whatever I feel like strongly about, I want to like, know what, who feels the opposite and what's their best argument, you know, like steal right. man, their argument. And it's like, so I've, I've listened to a lot of stuff and I do agree. Like the Palestinian people, they are living in, uh, they don't have rights. Okay. Yeah. Okay. They do live in tough, a, a tough situation. Uh, myself, it's like, it's like whenever things are bad for me, I'm always like, who should I like, who's responsible for this? And a lot of times it's myself, <laughs> you know, like, or like I try to choose local. I don't try to choose someone that's far or far away, like Americans uh, or whatever, or Zionists in New York. I try to think about locally who is doing this to me and they don't like, I don't, I, I, I'm, I'm more than willing to listen to let's talk territorial disputes. Try to give policies. them the benefit of the doubt, but it's like I'm willing to talk, hmm. you know, security, governmental institutions, that kind of stuff. What I'm not willing to debate on is whether or not it's a good or bad thing to rape teenage girls and burn six year olds beyond recognition. That's not but the cartels are doing that. The cartels are doing that currently. And our country's like, here you go. Come on in, brothers. Like, yeah, well, let's lock arms. And give you smartphones and a place to stay at any neighbor that doesn't want to have you in there. You got to live there. I mean, I th- well, I think the, the border thing is a completely separate discussion. It's got some, a few different dynamics. But on this issue, when someone is trying to justify Hamas going in and, you know, chopping the heads off of babies and pulling, literally pulling Holocaust survivors out of their wheelchair and stabbing them in the necks. That is not something I'm willing to debate. That is yeah, someone right. who is declaring themselves to be evil, and they are on the side of evil at that point. Right. I, I understand they're in just in a terrible spot, but it's like... Um, if they targeted the IDF, they go after the military folks, hey, that's different. Of okay, you know, I can be mad yeah. about that, but that's that's force on force. That's you actually trying to take on a military. This is not a bunch of goons gleefully live streaming how they're going to, you know undress 22 year old women out of a raid festival and sodomize them. I was listening yeah, to I, someone. I was listening to someone try to try to say that they, well, they did. They actually did attack some, some IDF installations. Cause I yes. think it was, it was just like, it took a couple of days for the IDF to take those spots back. But, and like, I heard someone say they were minimally that, manned cause it was a holiday. Yeah. Like part of this whole thing is um, like the Arab countries around them are extremely, they're a, they're extremely embarrassed to talk about the history when Israel kicked all their asses. Mm-hmm. So they, so that's another part that their shame that they were defeated by who they hate the most is another part of why they keep the Palestinians. So, well, oh yeah, whatever, whatever's happening to the Palestinians, however bad their plight is. What I wanted to say earlier was that it's not just Israel that's doing it to them. It's all of the Semites, if yeah. you will. Around that entire area, all the Muslims, Egypt, Iran, Syria, Jordan, Israel, like they're all in on it. So Israel, like in the in the marketing campaign, in the movie, Israel gets all the blame for what's happening to Palestinians. But their little District 9 hellhole that they're living in, it is, okay, it is. It's not just done by the Israelis. It's done by the entire region, Saudi Arabia, Yemen, Qatar. They don't give a damn about these people. They look at them as like, they look at them like Chinese and Japanese and Koreans look at Vietnamese. Like they're the worst of the, they look at them like, yeah, they look at them like the lowest class. So 
the Egyptians. It's not just the Israels that are doing it to them. It's all the Middle East, all them that are doing it to the Palestinians. Yeah, well, the Egyptians don't want the Palestinians to come in. Not at all. If you remember the 1991 Gulf War after the Palestinians, who had this really just wonderful knack for picking the the, the losing side, the Palestinians had sided with Saddam, and as soon as as soon as we retook Kuwait, the Kuwaiti government expelled every Palestinian that was in their territory. Nobody in the Arab world wants these folks. And as the Abraham Accords and other things have shown, because a lot of these other Arab nations are, are tired of having to go to bat for them. I mean, Israel is able to make a separate peace with some of these other nations separate, you know, outside of the Palestinian issue. And it's kind of mm-hmm. driven the Palestinians into a little bit of an impotent rage. Because they're losing leverage they're within in a the air. Ter- they're in a no, they're in a zero win ever situation because nobody wants to help them. Even the people that send them money and like say they're helping them and like sing their praises and defend, like even they don't care about them at all. Well, in fairness, I mean, I have trouble helping people who democratically elected a terrorist organization to lead them. It's not like they selected, yeah, that's- they elected the peaceniks. They chose Hamas to run them in, in the Gaza Strip. I think I think it's fair to say that those elections probably weren't fair. I was going to say I don't, I don't go by the election. I go I go by the fact I go by like my apartment building was blown up by the Israelis because Hamas decided to go and rape and burn babies and shit on the other side. I'd be looking for whoever I knew was in Hamas, and I'd be fucking dragging them in the streets. And smashing their head with whatever I could and making an example of them. And I don't see any Palestinian going after anybody in Hamas at all. No, but see, that's part of my point. Maybe, maybe I can't, but it's like they, I don't know that they elect them democratically because I can't believe that you can't believe that a corrupt government would actually have a fair election, but I think that they support them culturally and spiritually. I think they vote for Hamas. Whether it was so I'm agreeing with you, but just I, not not the same. Way. I do think that I do think that they were supported completely by the Palestinian people. I I don't know how fair or unfair the elections were. At least a majority. Yeah, I, and, but see, that's my point: is the they polling chose, chosen this yeah. government? It's it's the the old saying exists how it exists in our country yeah. as well. Yeah. But people get the government they deserve, and sometimes they deserve to get it good and hard. That's true. Um, I guess maybe I sympathize them a little bit on that because we're in this uh, very similar, a much more technologically advanced situation where, you know, our government, you know, we we're living real comfortable, but they, you know, they're not, they're not, they don't really respect us either. So, and we, and we don't really get the government that we think we're voting for, but we do get the government we deserve. Well, I mean, if, right? if we, we're gonna- we get, we deserve the uniparty. Even though we don't vote for anybody in the Uniparty, if we're if we're stupid enough, and if we're stupid enough and tribal enough to have a rematch of 2020 and 2024, we're going to get exactly what we deserve. Yeah. I'm not if saying Biden that like we deserve. Best we can do, then yeah. that says something about our society. Well, yeah, that goes to my point. Like, so I'm not saying that we deserve to be attacked, you know, but I am saying that like we should empathize with people that may not be democratically in control of their own destiny as much as we like to think we are. Cause we're not either way. Like again, trying to give them the benefit of the doubt as much as possible. You're still teaching your kids to hate Jews. Like, and you're still raping and, and sodomizing and murdering. And that's, that's yeah. the part where my empathy ends. There's probably a lot more people there teaching their kids really horrible things. Like 
spiritually than teaching their than actually doing the raping and stuff and killing. But yeah, I don't know what's I don't know what's worse. You know, it's like it's uh because it continue it carries a cycle of violence on to the next generation when the previous generations continue to teach that hate and continue to indoctrinate them. And again, I think it's twofold. I think there's legitimate hate they're passing on because they feel it. And then I think there's indoctrinational hate because it takes the focus away from the failures of their own leaders to provide the basics of water, clean water, food, you know, education, all the stuff that that everybody wants. If they've got an if they've got an external enemy to focus on, then they can't focus internally and say, you know what, maybe we do need somebody other than Hamas. There's like a logistical reason, like a logistical benefit to that hate. It just keeps yes. <laughs> like it like keeps their society going. Like it keeps the money flowing. It keeps like weird charities going. Uh, yeah. Like all the stuff that happened today with all the protests. Like, I think those are um, loathsome people. They have the right to do it, but they're still loathsome in New York city. It's, it's loathsome in New York city and all the college campuses, but in like Yemen where they're like streets are filled with people. Like that's a weird thing because the Yemeni government, whoever, whatever bastards they are, I'm, they're feeding the anti-Semitism. Like they want their people angry at some external force, like you were saying, like just be angry at somebody else, not us angry at somebody else. But at the same time, when they fill the streets with like hundreds of thousands of poor Yemenis that are kind of on edge, they get real nervous. So I I worry about the whole the region. Like I've I've lived long enough to go through a, a couple different periods where it was like oh is this the holy war is this the you know end times beginning so it's like i'm a little bit i'm not too worried but i am worried about you know just a general global like a general like a regional escalation because there's a lot of things that hang in the balance i think for the most part it's in all their best interest not to but and that's that's when those crowds when those crowds get a little bit too big and the pressure valve isn't working it's like well we better go to war and we better I think that's part of why the aircraft carriers in the Eastern Mediterranean is because it does For give sure. Iran and some others an excuse to back down a little bit. They, yeah, the cabal. If it wasn't there, they could say, we got to go support the Palestinians. But now they can say, oh, the United States is there. We, we can't do it. Um, and I'm less worried about the crowds in Yemen and Syria and Jordan because, I mean, those are that's going to happen. Those crowds are going to be loud and boisterous. But there's no there are no Jews in those countries that are going to be in danger. My Anxiety is not the right. I word. think they Anger, you know, they write a check. It. They'll write a check, or they'll give a thumbs up to some one of their yeah. well, groups when you, when you, to launch. When you look at the at the warnings they're having to give in New York, in London, in Paris to Jews, and say, "Hey, don't wear the yarmulke. Be careful when you're going to shul." When they're when when folks in Western democratic countries are in danger because of these crowds, that's where the issue is in the West. Obviously, it's not as bad as it is in Gaza. Or and just north of Gaza in those Israeli towns, but it's still bad when Jews are having to hide their faith in the United States because they're worried about yeah. some crowd coming up and murdering them. Horrible. I you know didn't have any business at a synagogue today. I was glad about that, but uh, it angers me deeply that there's an American citizen that did need did feel like they needed to wear a baseball cap or didn't feel safe going to their place of worship today because of something that angers me. I don't care the suburb. I don't know, care if it was like a tiny little thing in their brain or what. And, you know, we all be tough and realize that it's in a safe world. It angers me. You know, yeah, so look, we, we went out of our way. Problem. I would like to see this problem go away so that by the time my kid is in college, they're protesting 
you know, the fifth gender and not, you know, Hey, I'd like to have a 10 gender as a porn star. Sometimes <laughs> you know? don't come true. Um, I, I go away. I, I do think that, you know, we went out of our way after nine 11 to protect Arabs in the United States. We weren't always as successful, but there were no, there were no murders in the United States. There was, a, there was one crazy dude who killed a Sikh, which mm-hmm. is not even an Arab that was national news for you know three or four days. But we went out of our way to protect the Arabs in this country, say not every Arab is to blame for 9-11, rightfully so we said that, and we protected those communities. And now we should be protecting our Jewish communities from the kind of rage and hatred that is pouring out of some of these uh, yeah, that kind of, rallies. That kind of blind, that kind of blind tolerance too. Like it's interesting that we're not, right no. though? Why aren't we protecting them? That's a right? really good, That's question, good question that I don't have. Kanye. 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 It's weird. That is weird, right? Yeah, I I wish I had the answer. Conspiracy theories about uh, you know people throw around the Zionist word, and it's like, oh, that sounds bad. It's like it's not really. A Zion was the only refuge for the humans in the Matrix. (laughs) That's right. Yeah, it's just a matrix. Yeah, but I don't. Yeah, it's a good question. Um, I think there is some uh, level of anti-Semitism in the United States, or just kind of like a. It's a small. Maybe it's just like a human thing. It's like. it's a very small number of people, and like most people don't know a ton of Jewish people. Why is that? You know, like, I don't, don't is it know because their... Jesus was a Jew? Like, I don't uh, like what is the origin of like this well, hatred? Like, I've, I've never experienced it. Like, I don't ooh, really that's know. A, that's a whole other show with Russ. Yeah. Part, of it is, <laughs> part of it comes from the fact that as a group, Jews have usually been more successful than those okay. around them because they concentrate on family, they concentrate on education, they concentrate on business. Right. So they've been more successful. Success they always turn, Yeah, they've always um they've always been because of whatever. Maybe they're the chosen, something like that. They, <laughs> but they, like they've been underdogs. They've been like good, constructive underdogs always that have like found like that have like succeeded. And um my my uh one little thing I've learned about was during the plagues, there's a couple there's a couple different things in history where Jews were kicked out of a country. For whatever reason, like religious stuff, whatever, whatever. And it was to the country's great detriment. Oh, yeah. Whether it was Germany, Spain, I think, after the Inquisition. Like the Inquisition, they they ran out all the Jews. But it turns out all the Jews in Spain at that time were the ones that were really the best at stuff. Whether it was art, making things, like engineering, law, like right. Like they were like the best. So like when they kicked all them out. Like everybody's just like, oh, geez, I don't know how to make this. And they just, they really hurt their own societies. Like, well, it's ironic that all the Jews that were kicked out of Germany were the ones coming over here and running the Manhattan Project. Yep. Yeah. They lost our uh, government and our, there's a word for that, but like, yeah, like they basically expelled all their best scientists and artists. And suddenly we, we got the, an A-bomb that the Germans couldn't produce. Um, As a group, they've been more successful. It breeds envy. It, it breeds a certain amount of conspiracy, shadow, boogeyman kind of stuff. And people want to focus. I mean, Hitler used anti-Semitism to his benefit to rise to power by blaming all the troubles of Germany on a group of very successful people. Because they're like, look, all the rest of us are downtrodden, but but it's those Jews that are they're successful. They must be nefarious for doing that. And, and for some reason, because Jews have been successful in the world, for the most part, they are not included in the intersectional coalition of the oppressed peoples that the left wants to prop up. So right. it, it's it, it 
you would think that you would think that an event that cost six million Jews their lives and brought them to the precipice of extinction might draw a little bit of sympathy, but for some reason, people and this is not it's not just recent. I mean, throughout history, people have focused their hatred on the Jews, and it just it, it baffles me. But I mean, they keep coming back, and now they have their own nation to fight back with. It doesn't baffle me as I mean, I it it does, I guess. It doesn't baffle me as much as it fascinates me because that is the human condition that. Even when this group, they lost 6 million and they got a bunch of sympathy, when there's a bunch of humans getting a bunch of sympathy from one group of humans, there's another group of humans saying, a reaction. why am I not getting that much sympathy? Yeah. Right. You know, and, it, and it's like that, that there, that's just, we will never breed that out, whatever DNA it, pill it, pharmaceutical it out of the human, out of human nature that like, yeah. whether it's like success breeds jealousy and even like horrible tragedy that garners a lot of sympathy and like, wow, they're getting more sympathy than me. That, that breeds right. jealousy. Like we're, we're just a, we're just a, we're just something else. Aren't we? we uh, are you know my <laughs> about that. You know, my feelings about the species it's I, yeah, I get how arrogant I sound. And I've actually talked to God a lot about, Oh, I shouldn't be not, I should not be so conceited. I should be more humble, show some more humility about this. But the species that he has created, I'm not a fan. He knows. I mean, it's a, I'm, I'll say I'm a fan, but you know, I get it. Like we're, we're all going by our programming. It's the best we've got. We could tone down the creates Great things. Yeah. Yeah. Like, yeah. We could turn down the emotion and the rage. And the tribalism and up the reason just a little bit. Now, not all the way, because one of my sayings is that while emotion untempered by reason is destructive, reason untempered by emotion is cold. So if you can strike some yeah. kind of balance on that, that would be great. Unfortunately, we seem to want to go to one, one extreme or the other. We've been, you know, we uh, in our personal lives daily, you know, minute by minute, hour by hour, or in the geopolitical world, like humans are always striving for some kind of balance like between those things, like, you know, the, the ability, the ability to do whatever you want and also, and, and the, and the feeling of safety to like where mm -hmm. everybody else can't do what they want. Like, uh, but that, that, uh, the road to that balance is, uh, often just really terrible. And like, uh, that was like one of the things we were talking about in our little chat group this week is that, uh, this, normalcy bias this thing we have here in our country is like is very abnormal like this this piece we have like uh of the thousands of years of human history that is very normal very uh unusual for humans to live to where like i live in a house and i'm like no one's trying to take my house well you live in a house where like, no one's trying to take your stuff a couple you hundred years ago it was like if you had a house like there was somebody there was somebody some trust uh, Somebody was uh, was coming to take your stuff like tomorrow, okay, like maybe also, next week. You're also well fed, which humanity has not been throughout history. Yeah. You know, if you get hurt or sick, you can get, you know, cured up pretty easily. You have clothes on your back, so you're not sweating to death and you're not freezing to death. All this stuff that people take for granted nowadays, they don't realize that this is not the normal human condition. Up until about 150 saying, years yeah. ago, this would the folks who were living in. And I'm not trying to downplay poverty. Poverty is awful. Let me get that out of the way. But the people who are living in poverty today, 500 years ago, those if someone came from 500 years ago and saw some of our people living in poverty today, they'd think they were kings. 
because you have air yeah, conditioning, like, you have fresh food. Yeah, they got like eight. You got you only get well, you only have sixty channels, but you know. Yeah, you, you have this right. device. In you your got, you got to watch commercials. You have this device in your pocket that links you to the combined sum total of all human knowledge, and we use it to argue with strangers on the internet and look at pictures of yeah. cats that look like Santa Claus. I'm just yeah, yeah like I agree part. with all that. I think one of the like the theme of what I was saying in our group this week was um just the peace. Like hunger, yeah. food, yeah, all that. Like, yeah, peace is an anomaly. Peace is not the default status of mankind. It's just yeah. not. Yeah. And like, I, like I said earlier, like when COVID hit and people were like, "Oh no, what if this is the worst thing?" I was like, "There's a little bit of good to that because uh, I'm glad that folks still have a little bit of an alert system going on in their head. Like, oh, oh, what, uh oh, uh oh, what if this is a? What if this is a? You know, like, what if it is? Like, good. You know, again, like. When you you know turn the alert off after a few weeks, when it turns, I just out feel like the media is constantly alerting us, though, and that's the problem because they are able to feed us propaganda now, and more than ever since that has been legal in our country, it's like one single thing after another. Like literally, we just had uh, aliens. Like we, I mean, all of the things. Like it, this was this year. We we're only ten months into this year. We've had. Are you so talking many about when Obama things. wasn't? Did Obama sign off on something that like there was some weird rule where United States government couldn't do propaganda, and then he signed yeah. off where he, I, I'm not. I'm sure I'm oversimplifying it, but he was like, no, oh, no it was we, like we, it was like built propaganda into some again. bill. It was built into a bill. Yes, they got passed yeah, that, and. Reporters are like the most lo- most loathsome people on the planet. Of course, I've noticed you, and, and they in in their you know in private conversations they'll admit this. I had one guy actually tell me that as we, if he's driving down the road, he sees a plane coming into the airport, he'll privately pray that it crashes so that he has something to to report on. These are not good people. No, I under everyone. They're all. I mean, Anderson Cooper built millions of his income is from a pharmaceutical company like and he's the one that's telling us it's safe to do the vaccines like i'm just saying that i don't want to get into that but they keep feeding us this these things to be upset about and so like if anybody's listening maybe like we can't handle all of it like maybe we're not meant to fight it all maybe we're just like like outrage cells outrage cells because and i hate to say it i don't it's going to sound different. It than starts I wars, it. though. You said that. You said that that's what's happening to those people over there, that yeah, they're being fed they, this stuff. Yeah, outrage sells because it feels good. It makes you feel like you have a purpose. And right. when I say feel good, I don't mean, I mean, hate is always corrosive, but it does tend to give you purpose because you want to unite against the threat. And right. the news media knows that. I mean, there's a reason the saying exists that if it bleeds, it leads. Yeah. It's just, and now we have more access than ever. Now, I'm not saying the news was better when it was only three, because then we only got one side of the spectrum. And now we get, you know, about a thousand bajillion different sides of the spectrum. But, you know, it we, we're more constantly bombarded. It's one of the reasons I get so annoyed when they try to shove that shit into, like, say, my sports. Okay. Yeah. I go to sport. I go to sport. I go to entertainment to get away from the constant barrage of bullshit yeah i can't stand taylor swift either yeah, <laughs> yeah fuck that bitch yeah, the, i'm just kidding the, Adrian, kidding. Kelsey almost swift as bad piece. as hamas almost <laughs> well I, look she's just doing this so she can figure out what her next breakup song is going to be yeah mrs pfizer whatever <laughs> that is oh yeah i mean look guys. she's dated about a thousand guys and she hasn't married any of them you think Trump, Trump <laughs> might take a hint a thousand <laughs> whore 
Has she? I don't know. That well, seems she to make she her... dated the guy who played Loki. She dated one of the, the One Direction guys. She Who else did she? I mean, a whole bunch of folks. And she oh, that's true. If you like date. Her. Yeah. If that's like, I understand it. Like if you date like a celebrity dude, then yeah, you've that's like counts for like a hundred dudes. So I get, I get what you're saying. <laughs> I get what you're saying. Like if, he, if she dated like Bradley Cooper for a couple, like a year, like that's. Yeah, that's yeah, that's. I, I'm sure she's sitting there in that box, not knowing. Maybe I'm wrong, but probably not knowing too much about football. And somebody says, "Hey, go ahead and cheer." This is the part where she cheers, and then she stands up, and the cameras go to her. Yeah, yeah, I don't really know yet. I, I found I find it annoying. I'm not comfortable with Taylor Swift, but I <laughs> I understand why she's very popular. Something doesn't seem right, but I don't know enough to. to yeah, just, right. Like a little bit, something. like. Is it the long limbs or something is like the long legs? She's like, it's more like if you can go 20 years in at the top of American public life without any kind of scandals, good for her, good for her, or she's got got some really, she's got some really good people like running her image and all her stuff. My favorite is all these everything. And you get the, you get the feeling like everything she does. He's running maybe, for maybe it's unfair. It's unfair because I think, okay, I'm going to just say Taylor Swift's all right. <laughs> I think what we do is we see like a lot of fake stuff everywhere at like fives and sixes and sevens out of 10, whatever. And then we see her and it's like, we try to put a 10 on her at fake, but it's like, she's just normal girl, whatever, but still wrapped up in all the fakery and bullshit and sponsorships that, um, and she's just, and, and, and what is she, what does she, at the end of the day, what does she want? She doesn't want people to hate her. That's what like, all yeah, girls want. <laughs> no, I mean, Hey, I'm just, uh, I, I would really, I don't really want like 10 million people to hate me either. No, well, I, that's what, that's the kind of scale she's dealing at. Right. I, if I, like, if the, if the chiefs win, like whoever, like whoever her, their rival, the Raider or whatever, like every Raiders fan hates her. Like she doesn't want that kind of I, hatred. I do think it's funny that you have all these people posting on social media that, how you know? I don't care about Taylor Swift. I'm like, well, you cared enough to post about it. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm being honest. Yeah, it's, it. She troubles me. She troubles me. <laughs> she vexes the. <laughs> not. I'm not quite sure. Like, what to think? Like, they're saying she's a political. She's like plug. a John Ma- John Mayer. You know what I mean? For a little while, for Adam Carolla would be like, is John Mayer like? What's is he? What is he? Is he a douchebag? Is he all right? They're like, saying that he's like, dating Andy Cohen. Might be a little bit. Who's that? You know, is that uh, the Watch What Happens the Live? Housewives guy? guy. Oh wow, that's something else. That's new. Yeah, they have a very interesting relationship, apparently. Oh, maybe that's why he broke up with Taylor Swift. Did he date Taylor Swift? It's not John Mayer that dated Taylor Swift. Oh, no. I'm sure. I mean, I, I thought said almost everyone in Hollywood seems. To I took a shot. You know, I was like 50-50 there. I mean, it was yeah. better than I thought. It was like eighty percent chance it was that he was yeah. one. Isn't he a boy band? Somebody, something or other. We have John to ask Mayer? Andy when he comes back next week. I don't know. John Mayer? No, he's uh, he's always been a solo artist. I think. Okay. Well, I was just saying that Adam Carolla would always ask, like John Mayer, like, "What's up with this? Is he a douchebag? He's an asshole. Is he okay? Is he a dude, cool dude?" And like Taylor Swift, I'm just, I'm that's where I'm at. I'm like, I'm not sure what. Uh, undecided. Stay undecided. I still remember, I remember when she was still. I still remember when she was a country singer. That's right. That's part of the weirdness too. Is that when you change genres or you kind of like go from one, like a smaller genre to like a 
more mainstream like yeah. oh that was kind of everything everywhere yeah yeah it's interesting you were real into like playing the oboe you know and now you're <laughs> and now you're a pop star like mm, i'm kind of yeah. I think I fell in love with her when Kanye stole her war, like when he stole her spotlight, like took the microphone and was like, this should have went to Beyonce when she won like yeah. her first Grammy. And I think that like America fell in love with her because that She's was horrible. So like he, sh- he should mm-hmm. not have done that. You know, I think that's when mothers of America fell in love with her, if you will. So I just remember seeing the headlines about that and not never not really knowing like what really happened and thinking, wow. Bad. These people seem all the people that care about Kanye and Taylor Swift are very worked up about this. But now, yeah. now they come to her defense on. I mean, if you've ever, I don't know. This was probably a decade ago, maybe when Michael J. Fox. Uh, somebody asked him if he would want, if, you know, he want his son to date Taylor Swift, and he said no because she'd write a song about him, and like he got barraged. Had to come out and make a public apology to Taylor Swift. Michael J. But, Fox with yeah. the with the ALS. Yeah, this was like 10, 12 years ago. Um, wow. and, I mean, he got barraged with all kinds of hate because he was yeah. he didn't want his son dating Taylor Swift. I mean, this has been going on, going on a long time. Like Michael Jackson, he's I mean, he's pretty much a pedophile. But there okay. are there are, I mean, you know, he what was? Do you, do you think that he ready? looks like his character from the thriller video piece. yet? <laughs> yeah, that's all that means. <laughs> <laughs> that was fun. Right about now, yeah, like yesterday. Lord of hell, I know. You guys. But like, but this dude was a pop star, made great music, could dance, whatever, made some catchy hits that people still remember. There are girl like this dude's a pedophile, died from a drug overdose, was obviously you know like having some real uh, you know was like degenerate adjacent, and there's still like women in this world that will they're like if if they had some like sperm in a vial of it, they'd be like impregnate <laughs> me right now. <laughs> Well, you got to remember some woman married Ted Bundy when he was in so prison. So like, you know, like you go like, I'm, I mean, I'll be honest. I'm a little afraid to say anything bad about Taylor Swift because I might, I'm, I feel for my safety. <laughs> yeah, remember, they'll kill, they'll kill for, they'll kill for yeah. her. Her yeah, nation, remember, there were women this might that make were, us go viral. That's what I'm saying. Like that, yeah, it's dangerous. Yeah. There were women that were trying to date Ted Bundy while Is he was that in a song prison, of hers? So. Dangerous. There's a, I only know the revenge you song. Know. That you one is. Say, yeah. Fire. It's you could say flat. pretty much you could, you could say any common phrase in American dialogue and it could be a Taylor Swift song. It could be. You're right. You're right. People are crazy about their celebrities. And like, if you can just like, if I like your music to where I can sing every verse, like <laughs> I, I'm, I'll come, I'll, I'll defend you. <laughs> yeah. Oh boy. I'm, I'm, I'm glad my ta- kids never I might take up arms. I might take yeah. up arms to defend you. You know. they'll, they'll, they see him and then they'll scream for an hour. That's why you have to, if you have young kids, you have to get them into good music early. Like you have to like really kind of, you have to indoctrinate your own children. You have to like Dumb. push good music parenting. on them. Yeah. That used to be called parenting. Push, yeah. <laughs> push music on them so they don't get sucked in by the bullshit. Like they're not like, oh my God, I want to, you know? Yeah, I do. So that's on you parents. God damn it. All right, y'all, my pink wine's out. Yeah, me too. Russ, my water went out a little bit ago. You got anything else to educate us on? Oh no, I think I've I think I've dispensed enough wisdom for the evening. You have, man. You're Thanks a lot. The greatest. Thanks yeah, for coming. It was so fun. It, this was a lot of fun. I really do appreciate. It. We'll have to get Coop on here at some point. He uh he actually was was waylaid by his woman, and she's he's off with her tonight. Um, but good for him. For all the folks out there who don't know what a 
what a big party pooper I am. It is well past my bedtime and I will probably be <laughs> going to, to the Z, to the Z closet here very shortly. <laughs> me too. My bedtime right, too. And I'm on a different coast than you. Yeah, so you're two hours behind me. It's like, I know. I'm older than you though. Witching hour now. I'm gonna go start a fire. All right. Hopefully in a fireplace, not like in your living room. Outside in the backyard somewhere. (laughs) All right. Good to see y'all. Take care, man. Thanks a lot. Take care. Get it on. Do what you want. Do you pay eight dollars a month to subscribe to the Congo Times? What is up? This is producer Mole Man with your plugs. First off, if you want to find us on Facebook, look up Endless Randers Podcast and you'll see us join up, have fun, mingle with all the listeners, throw in some shade at us if you want. If you want to reach out to us on Twitter, it is Endless Randers. Instagram is Endless Randers Podcast. If you want to reach out to us individually, you could find Chris on Twitter at GratefulRed1. And one is a number, not the actual word spelled out. So GratefulRed and then the number one. Robbie Spotlight, you can find him across all socials under the Robbie Spotlight name. You could find me under How We Figure, Twitter, Instagram, and the podcast. And thank you for listening. Thank you for supporting. Get it on.